Turn your Bibles to Luke 22 as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. And really a series within a series as we're looking at the Passion Week of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, His last few days in His earthly ministry. This morning we'll be looking at Luke, 40, Luke 22 verses 47 through 53, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. While he, that is Jesus, was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out against as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Let's pray together. Father, we ask again that through the ministry of your word, you would rivet our hearts and our minds and our affections upon Christ, even as we have earlier sung and as we confessed, our hearts are often untuned to sing of your grace. Would you tune our hearts to sing of the salvation that's found in Christ and the glories of our God this day as we study your word? Work that in us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In 1986, Frank Peretti wrote a book entitled This Present Darkness. Many readers were captivated by the story. The story takes place in a small college town of Ashton. The characters involved in the study uncover a plot of the town being taken over through the purchase of the small college there. But the characters also discover that amidst the plot and amidst the problems was spiritual warfare behind the events. The book deals with much of the spiritual warfare being waged behind the scenes in these small town struggles. And while the book is fictional and has some theological problems, it has a hint of dualism and some hyper-demonology, if you will, nevertheless, the book deals with the reality of the unseen evil forces at work in this world. We've seen this throughout the life of Jesus' earthly ministry in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, we saw at the very beginning of his ministry, the devil taking him as he was led into the desert by the Spirit, the devil tempting him. And then we read in that portion of Luke's Gospel, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And while there's much demonic encounters throughout the ministry of Jesus, I believe that more opportune time is here in our text this morning. Judas had been indwelt by the devil, and he approaches Jesus under cover of night. And he brings with him the religious leaders, Roman soldiers, some rowdy folks from the crowd, 
to, to capture him and eventually to kill him. It was a crowd that had been blinded by the influence of the evil one. And so Jesus, in fact, attributes this entire scene to the evil one when he says in the last verse that we read, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. In this hour of the power of darkness, we see that Christ all along expected to be betrayed by Judas. Even though Jesus and the disciples were in the secret garden, the garden of Gethsemane, under cover of night, Judas knew exactly where to find him. Jesus, Jesus was not hiding from Judas. It was his custom to go to this place, and Judas knew that well. And so Jesus was expecting Judas, not only because of the familiarity of the place, but you remember from our earlier studies in Luke's gospel, because Jesus had prophesied it as well. Remember, as he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, the one who dips his hand in my bowl is my betrayer. John tells us in his gospel account that Jesus knew all along that Judas was the one who would betray him. But knowing this ahead of time did not alleviate the pain and the anguish and the heartache that our Savior experienced from this betrayal because you see, Judas was an insider. Judas was a supposed friend. In that culture, to eat together meant to enjoy fellowship intimacy, love for one another. It was a sign of fellowship and friendship. And if eating together was a sign of intimacy, how much more so in that culture was a kiss on the cheek? It represented honor, acknowledged dignity, and affection for that individual. And so this sign of supposed intimacy has now become a signal of betrayal and treason. And Jesus was deeply wounded by the betrayal. Again, in John's gospel, it says his spirit was deeply troubled when he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus was in agony and anguish of soul over the betrayal. You know, although this is a unique moment in redemptive history, I think we can also expect being hurt as well in this fallen world. Timothy, uh, Jesus said later on, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Paul wrote Timothy, indeed all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Peter, who was there that night, later wrote the church scattered. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus and the apostles are saying in this fallen world, we can expect to have hardship and heartache and betrayal even of friends, not just outside in the world through persecution, but even inside in the church. Judas was an insider. Later we read Peter and Paul and John were heartbroken over false teachers within the church. Abandonment of, of those who were supposedly once within the church who left the faith. And even betrayal. It left marks of deep disappointment on the apostles as well. In this life, do not be surprised that you might experience deep disappointment 
in relationships. The abandonment and unfaithfulness of a spouse. A child or student being caught in the middle of a nasty divorce. When I was in campus ministry, I can't tell you the number of students that would come to us in tears having found that they're in the middle of a feeling betrayed by parents in the midst of a divorce. The friend who betrays you on social media, making fun of your views or your character. The employee employer who is disappointed by the company or by fellow employees. The person who receives cheap shots from social media. Betrayal of a neighbor. We could go on and on. Many of us have felt these things and Jesus felt them deeply and even more so to a greater degree. How does that make us feel? You've been stabbed in the back. You felt the betrayal, the hardships from a friendship. And how are we tempted to respond in those situations? Jesus felt all of this in his humanity. But did you notice how he responded? When he was wronged, when he was betrayed, Christ responded in grace and with great blessing. When it was suggested to take out swords, we're told in the other gospels it was Peter. Peter didn't have to think twice. He unsheathed his blade and he went for the head of the servant, cutting off his right ear. He didn't understand that earlier as we studied in Luke, that when Jesus used the term sword, it was metaphor. He took out his literal sword and he tried to decapitate this man who sought to harm Jesus. But isn't this how we often respond Isn't this how we often feel when betrayed? Maybe not with the same violence of hand, but nevertheless often with the same vindication of heart. The resentment, the retaliation, the unforgiving spirit, the passive aggression, the bitterness we often bathe our hearts in towards others who have wronged us. Indeed, God knows this is our struggle. He knows this is often our response. He knows we are a lot like Peter. I know your heart, God says. I know the tendency of your heart to retaliate. I know that you're often tempted to get back at to even the score and even more. He knows the vindictiveness of our hearts that we're a lot like Peter, if if not outwardly, inwardly. That was Peter's response when, when perceived wrong. But did you notice Jesus' immediate response? It really is amazing. It's incredible. No more of this. None of this. And he reached out and he touched and he healed the ear of the servant. John tells us his name was Malchus. Jesus had been horribly betrayed by Judas And now he's surrounded by a group who wants to take his life, who wanted to unjustly arrest him and set up a kangaroo court and crucify him. And yet in the heat of that moment, Jesus rebuked his disciples for wanting to retaliate and in great compassion. He reached out and touched and healed a man who was a part of a group that wanted to take his life. Now, there certainly is a time 
and place for self-defense from those who seek to do us harm. But I want you to remember in this situation, no matter how misguided they were, they had the legal right to arrest Jesus. And he doesn't resist. He doesn't retaliate. Rather, he responds in grace and in blessing. You know, this goes against everything in me. It goes everything against uh, our human hearts. Yet this was the way of our Savior. And therefore, it's the way of those who follow Him. It's the way of those who've received a new heart in the gospel of grace. I want you to imagine Peter, who was there that night, who was the one in the moment of passion that heated battle, pulls out his sword and tries to decapitate the servant. I want you to imagine Peter, years later, writing these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin and neither was any deceit found in his mouth. And yet when he was reviled, he did not refile in return. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Or consider later the words of the Apostle Paul who experienced great hardship and tribulation and persecution and betrayal. When he wrote the church in Rome, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Peter and Paul, having been wronged, were able to write this by the inspiration of the Spirit because it's something Jesus, by His Spirit, had ingrained in them. It's something that Jesus had taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember His words. You've heard that it was said. Here's how things work. Here's how they've worked in the past. Here's the response of the human heart. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But the Son of God said, But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He was born in a violent stone age culture in the Amazon rainforest in eastern Ecuador. His heart was filled with anger and bitterness, and hatred, and he had no problem at all with taking human life for no cause. His name was Minkaya. It means wasp. In 1956, Minkaya and a group of Wudani warriors speared to death missionaries Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, 
and Nate Saint. Steve Saint was only five years old when his father was speared to death. And yet God did a remarkable job in the jungles of Ecuador, a remarkable work of grace. Through the forgiveness of the five widows who lost their young husbands, the Wudani warriors, the gospel began to work among that tribe. Many came to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, including Minkiah. In fact, later, Minkiah even became an elder in that church. But it's a story more, uh, not just simply of reconciliation with God and redemption, but reconciliation with one another. As a young fatherless boy, Minkiah took Steve's saint under his wing. He befriended him. He became a father figure to him. And Minkiah, having become an elder in the church, actually had the privilege of baptizing Steve Saint. Their families over the years grew close, and years later, Steve and Minkiah began to travel the world, telling the story of God's redeeming and reconciling grace. A little over 15 years ago, Steve Saint came and he spoke at Columbia International University Chapel when we were living in Lexington. He talked about how the five missionaries had been speared to death by the Wudani tribesmen and how God had worked a work of grace among those people as many came to faith in Christ. And he talked about his father being one of those who had been speared to death. And then at the end of the talk, he looked on the front row and he said, Micaiah, would you please stand? And he stood before a thousand CIU students. You could have heard of the drop of a pen. They realized it wasn't just a sweet Sunday school story. It was reality, the reality of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ to forgive, to turn the other cheek, to love even our enemies. It was a story of God's redeeming and reconciling grace. Minkiah passed away just this past April, April 28th, 2020. Steve Saint wrote in his obituary about his lifelong friend. We traveled together ate together, shared the same room, and spoke together. I have known Minkiah since I was a little boy when, we took, when he took me under his wing and had his sons teach me how to blowgun hunt. He was one of my dearest friends in the world. Yes, he killed my father, but he loved me and my family. One of my grandsons is named Minkiah. We will miss you, Minkiah, but we hold on to the certain hope that we will soon see you again. John 3.16. How radically different is that from the response of the natural human heart? How radically different was it than the response of Peter on that night? How radically different is it in the old movie Princess Bride? You know the line, if you've seen it, hello, my name is Inino Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Not so with Steve Saint. God worked a great work of reconciliation. He can do it in our hearts as well. By the way, if you want to know more about the relationship of Steve and Minkiah, you can see the movie, End of the Spear. It's a great movie for you or your family to watch. But how was Steve Saint able to do this? 
having been betrayed. They had befriended these missionaries for a short time only to take their lives. And it was the life of his father. How was he able to respond and how are we able to respond in like manner when wronged? In short, only through the life-changing power of the gospel of grace. Because when we are wronged, really wronged, not just in theory, we begin to think, but how can I forgive because of what they've done to me? And we replay it over and over. And we hit the rewind and play it over and over. And we think there's no way I can forgive because of what they have done. But here Jesus calls us to remember the gospel. Consider for a moment your sin against the Savior. Your and my deliberate Repeated, unprovoked, often unrepentant sin. And yet rather than delivering the sword of judgment, our Savior has reached out and he's brought forgiveness and mercy and grace and healing to our sin-filled hearts. This is how we deal graciously with those who've sinned against us. Think for a moment of those who may have hurt you or harmed you or betrayed you. Often it's far less than what Steve Saint experienced in the murder of his father. And it's far less than the offenses we have leveled against our Lord. And yet he forgives and forgives and he forgives. No wonder Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. That's how we can forgive. That's how we can turn the other cheek. That's how we can give our enemies food and clothing and water to drink. You see, forgiveness is the mark of the Christian it is the evidence of a new heart. It is the fruit of having received forgiveness ourselves. That's how we're able to forgive. Even those who betray us and deeply grieve our hearts. But there's yet another reason we're able to do this. Another reason we see in Jesus' response and it is this. Christ responded in this manner, knowing that the powers of darkness would soon be overcome. Jesus, in verse 52 and 53, appears to be somewhat amused that they came to him with, with swords and torches and clubs at night. Because he said, I was with you in, in the middle of the temple in broad daylight. But then after showing that amusement, he turns to the crowd and he said this, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the hour of Satan's demonic forces driving the crowd. The hour the Son of Man would be betrayed. The hour he would be handed over and mocked and ridiculed and beaten. The hour he would be crucified. The hour Satan had apparently triumphed over dar with darkness. And darkness has prevailed. Even the sky darkened at that hour. But one thing I really appreciate about Jesus' choice of words in describing this is using the word hour. 
You, you see, we know an hour will soon come to an end. John tells us in the book of Revelation that Satan knows his time is what? It is short. You see, the hour of the crowd, the hour of this present darkness, was still the hour of God's appointment. It was still the hour of, ultimately, God's power. All of the events leading up to this and afterwards have been prophesied and sovereignly been predetermined by the almighty hand of the living God. Remember, it was Peter who later, addressing the crowd in Acts chapter 2, said, this Jesus was delivered up, including the betrayal. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. And so even in this present darkness at that moment, and even in this world today, which we see the darkening clouds in our culture approaching, Phil Riken was correct when he put it this way. In this present darkness, whatever it is for us is under the power of God. I hope you heard that. I hope you believe that. No matter how dark and depraved the culture, no matter how dark and hopeless the hour may appear to be, whatever it is for us, it is still under the power of our great and almighty God. So what does that mean for us? Sitting here today and sitting at home, it means that a Savior who can deliver in His darkest hour can deliver us in ours. It means that although darkness seems to prevail in this world and as we look around at our culture and we see the darkening landscape, it means that while we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in, in, the, heavenly, in the heavenly places, and while the God of this world has blinded those to the light of the gospel, it still means the light of Christ has come into this world. And John reminds us in his gospel, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so when we look at COVID, when we look at our culture, we look at physical suffering and famine throughout the world, if you're familiar with the voice of the martyrs, a magazine and a website that reminds us of our brothers and sisters who are huddling outside, hiding for their lives. It reminds us, nevertheless, we can still sing as believers in Christ, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And so with confidence, when wronged, either within the church or outside the church with persecution, we can respond with grace and blessing as did our Savior, as did Steve Saint, as did later on in his ministry, 
the Apostle Peter, and countless others throughout church history, we can respond in like manner, knowing the gospel is true, knowing that it is often by means of forgiveness that the darkness is dispelled and light shines with its brightest effects into this world. Yes, the world is dark. Yes, this may be the hour of this present darkness. But never forget, O oh church, the darker the night, the brighter the stars. Jesus said that you as a church have been called to pursue him with a passion and the light of the world is in you and we've been set on a hill, not hidden under a basket. We've been set on a hill for the world to see the grace and blessing that flows from Jesus through his people and through his church. We've been set on a hill so that the world might see through his church the glory, the brilliance, the brightness, the beauty of Jesus himself. And so my prayer for us is that God would use us even when wronged, especially when wronged, as instruments of grace and blessing and that we might be beacons of light for the glory of our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of spirit, that we might be beacons of light in this present darkness. The God who has called us to it will give us sufficient grace for it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray even this day as we reflected upon Peter's response, which is often like ours, and then our Savior's response. Lord, as we've searched our own hearts, or rather as your word has searched them, there may be those in our lives that we have been harboring anger and resentment towards. We may have exhibited passive aggression, whatever it may be. Jesus, in light of the gospel of grace and the new hearts we've received and the forgiveness that we've received in you, Father, grant us grace to put down the sword of judgment and take up the gospel of grace. Grant us forgiveness and mercy. And Father, those who may be discouraged by the darkness of our culture, by the gathering storms around us, may we remember that one word of Jesus, our, it's but an hour, and we know that in the end, your gospel, your truth, and that you, O King, would triumph. And so give us grace and strength and power to sing and to live out these truths. May we as a church display before a watching world the brilliance, the brightness, the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.